You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another great show of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I am your host, Joseph James. And today we have a guest that's also here to talk about her trauma. Uh, She grew up in a family that her mom and dad loved each other, but she had a model of love that she thought would carry into other or into relationships. But instead, she found herself in uh, in an emotionally and physically abusive relationship and it became very destructive, destructive with herself, uh, destructive in uh, the family environment. And later on throughout years taking, she learned just to get to the point of taking nobody's BS anymore. And she found her faith in God throughout all of it, began coaching, not only herself, but now she also has a coaching uh, business for women. She is a Christian numerologist, okay? And she's going to talk a little bit about that. But she has found how numerology and according to God's word plays a part in our lives. And, And throughout all the Bible, how numbers are a very important thing. She has found her purpose and reason for things, and she has experienced and uncovered patterns in her own life by understanding numbers. Davette, thank you and welcome to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I geek out on this kind of stuff, so I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Hey, me too. That's awesome. So I want to dive right into, you know, our, our listeners out there. These are people that have gone through abusive relationships, both physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, uh, sexually. Uh, some of them have, you know, lost loved ones like myself. Some of them have had broken relationships again, like myself, but then also just, you know, life's pain, life's trauma, life's guilt, life's shame, everything that we can go through rejection dating all the way back to our childhood And the majority of it, if not all of it, stems from the very first relationship that we had, and that was with our parents. Take me back to that time in your childhood and your relationship with your parents and how that was the mold and the model for you. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's, you know, our first relationship. And as, you know, babies, we're completely taken care of and nurtured. And then at some point, we're told no. Or, you know, we don't get our way and it in some way shatters our heart. And it's in the most innocent way. And adults think it's maybe not such a big deal, but it kind of creates that first little crack in our heart. Um, I grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico as a um, an only child. You know, I was born and raised in the church and I loved it. I had a wonderful childhood. My parents were very much in love. Um, I mean, they would chase each other around the house and, you know, every weekend we drive off to the mountains or go exploring somewhere. And it was very um, healthy, very loving. Um, You know, it was, it was a good childhood. And I think 
once you kind of hit that age of where you start being interested in boys and boys being interested in girls, you start feeling that rejection, you know, and I can remember in, in, in grade school, just having little crushes and them making fun of you or calling you something that you start building that belief system of maybe I'm not good enough, or I'm not going to be loved. You know, so I think from, from there, I mean, in high school, so I went to a Christian middle school, right? right? And then um, I kind of had that reality check or kind of in my face um, in eighth grade being put in a public school and seeing how wild and crazy it was out there. I mean, it was the wild, wild west, you know? I mean, eighth graders were having sex. They were doing drugs. They were oh. doing cocaine. They were like going home and partying because the parents weren't there. And I, it was a little... Kind of shocking and I, I think I was a little vulnerable and and um protected from all that which is a really good thing because I think it built my my roots a little bit but um I met my kid's father in high school and um I was just head over heels over him and I had no idea how dysfunctional and broken he was um until he started really being jealous and uh, controlling and possessive and I thought that meant he really liked me because he was so you know possessive and he didn't want me to to look at anybody else and so that led to um emotional abuse yeah yeah that led to the emotions of you know, you don't love me and why aren't you doing this for me to me crying? Because, you know, your first love and in, in that innocent place of, you know, high school and such is like, it's so pure and it's, you're just so vulnerable. So those emotions, you know, really played on me. And I felt almost like it was my purpose to make him feel loved. There was something wrong with me because- I- he was crying that I didn't love him or he was upset and it was something that I did. So then I, you know, kept trying to, no, I love you. I want to be with you. You're the only one for me. And um, then that turned into physical abuse or kind of like rage. I mean, then it was just punching holes in the wall and breaking, you know, the radio or or breaking things. Um, And really play to my emotions and of course then it turns into you know um boys kind of like to do the thing of like well if you love me you know then you'll have sex with me yeah (laughs) so it's like and of course he was the love of my life and so you know we went there I got pregnant and now as a Christian I felt I'm stuck And this is the consequence of my sin. And now I'm going to be stuck in this relationship forever. This is God punishing me. And now I have to make it work. Right. You know, I have to make it work for my daughter. I have to make it work because I want to do right by God. I want to show God that, you know, I love him and I'm going to do the right thing. And third, I even felt a sense of responsibility for his salvation because he was so lost and I knew where salvation came from. And so now, oh my gosh, just the weight of the world on my shoulders, you know, as a young, vulnerable girl. Um, And then I got pregnant again. 
And so, you know, I had two daughters and the jealousy didn't stop. The abuse didn't stop. And it would be wonderful for like three months. And it was a weird pattern of, it was just, you know, we were happy and going on vacation and, and doing fun things. And then all of a sudden this like really bad blow up would happen. Wow. And I mean, there was times um, when I was pregnant with my first daughter that, you know, he literally put a gun to his own head and said that he was going to kill himself in front of me um, because he was so jealous and he just didn't want to lose me. And, you know, there was um, another situation where with my uh, my youngest daughter, who uh, I mean, we were at a family, uh, you know, we would get together with his family, we would play cards and drink and, you know and whatnot. And, um, and I, I would never take my kids with us, but it was just kind of our adult fun time. I wasn't drinking cause I was pregnant, you know, and it was like probably six to eight months or so. And, um, on the way home, he accused me of, you know, I don't know, making out or doing something with one of his relatives, uncle in like the kitchen, <laughs> like the next room, you know, huh. and he, he hit me really hard and gave me a really bad bruise on my leg. And I just remember being so it, it changed me everything, everything up until that point, I was kind of dealing with and felt responsible for, um, but that kind of turned to hate in my heart that thought like, wow, like I'm pregnant and you know, and, and not, not to, um, I, I don't want this to sound bad or something like that, but even, you know, the guy that he was accusing me of doing something with in the next room, you know, he was like one legged veteran, you know, so like older man. And I'm just like, I mean, come on, you know? So, I mean, that continued really for about 13 years of, of pain, a lot of emotional pain, you know, there was a time where, you know, we were, we were fighting and kind of wrestling around and he told me he was going to, he's like, I'll kill you. And that's when I was like, oh no, he didn't. And so I fought back and I kicked his butt. (laughs) I don't know what came out of me, but we, you know, really kind of threw blows and my heart was so broken because I don't want to fight somebody I love. Right. You know, so. But ultimately uh, this is the, you know, this goes back to the modeling, you know, of what you were first learning, you know, of love, it, not not just necessarily from your parents, but now the way he initially started to treat you. And then as he slowly, gradually started to do things, being first love, being naive, being young, we start learning at this very young age that this must be love. And so instead of I need to have boundaries in place. I need to have, I need to understand and recognize red flags. And so it's just one thing after another. And, you know, we find ourselves because I know that I I did it at a young age, but, you know, and even having, you know, struggles, you know, as I start to move on in life is, is this really what love is? You know, because ultimately where's our model of love at? For me, it was from my parents and then it was from my marriage because I didn't really have love relationships in, in between. Okay. So I've only had two. So now all of a sudden, like with you, it's like, why would you say that you're, I'm, you love me. I love you. Why, why would any of those things even be in your vocabulary? And ultimately it's, we're struggling on how to love ourselves, and we're displaying things that we haven't learned how to control, haven't learned how to deal with unresolved and unhealed trauma, haven't learned how to manage those things that we dealt with as a young child. And because 
that was at the time your husband's model of love, you know, he's displaying that on you. And you've like, well, I didn't know that's what love was supposed to be. Maybe this is what's supposed to be love. And it really gets us caught into, you know, the guys like, well, you'd stay with me if you loved me, or I, you know, I'll never hit you again because I do love you. And, and we use this falling back on love as an excuse of how to treat people when ultimately we don't even know what love is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, a huge thing that was missing for me is knowing how to love myself because even just being, you know, born and raised in the church. I mean, God loves us unconditionally. There's nothing that we can do that can turn his love away from us. And so, so I'm, didn't realize that I'm not God, you know, it's not my job to allow someone to abuse me and still continue to love them. Like that's not healthy. And no one ever really taught me that. And you know, I didn't know that it was okay to put myself first and to say, these are my boundaries. And this is what, how I want to be treated. I thought, honestly, I thought I was even loving God more by being the martyr in a way, you know, I, someone could be so abusive to me and I can still stay there and I could still um, praise God in the storm, which I did. And honestly, those times really brought me even closer to God because there were times that I was crying and I was in bed and, and I would open up my Bible and I would read and I would call out to him and he would comfort me. And there was a piece in it that did surpass understanding and Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense. And so for that, I'm, I'm grateful to have gone through the fire and know where the light was yeah, and where to follow it, you know? So yeah, that was, you know, that, that was definitely, um, a hard time as a young girl. And that's something that I do differently with my daughters at this point too, is saying, you know, um, it's okay to set your boundaries. And I love just, you know, I absolutely love the, the husband, wife, the male, female roles. Yeah. I, I love it. I think it's so beautiful that, you know, the man is the leader and he's like the head of the household and that, you know, a woman, you know, we, we want to help our men and um, take care of the home and support him. And I just think that's, a beautiful thing. It's just misconstrued so much. It's right. just gotten so off track that we don't even know what that looks like. Yeah. You know, we think it's abuse or, you know, you know, women are, are fighting really hard to um, take on that men's role. And, you know, I found myself at later on than being, you know, we moved to California and we were getting counseling at church and, um, I mean, I literally had four preachers tell me, Devet, <laughs> um, it's okay if you're not with him. Like divorce is not the ultimate unforgivable sin. Yeah, correct. And I had a really hard time thinking, but I'm going to go to hell if I get divorced. And, you know, I realized that I'm not saved based on what I do. I'm saved based on what was done for me. Right. And how am I serving anybody by being in an abusive relationship? How am I serving my daughters? How, 
you know, where's my freedom? My freedom is in Christ. It's not in my martyrship, you know. Right. And your identity is in Christ as well, not in the relationship that you're in, whether it's married, divorced, broken relationship, working towards one, you know, that's not our identity. And, you know, the thing about it that I've noticed even for myself is because I grew up with so much rejection and and listeners, I really want y'all to kind of take heed to this. I dealt with so much rejection as a young kid from my father that no became such a hurtful answer to me. So when I would hear from a female, it would hurt. So what did it, what did it cause me to do? Stop asking or stop putting myself into a position to ask a female out because I was afraid of the word no. Then it went on to a young adult business life where I would get into MLM marketing. And the moment I would get the word no, I'm like, I'd freeze up again because everything tied back to my father and rejection, you know? And then when I did have, you know, did get married and then I lost my wife is I started to notice that my identity was based around, again, me needing somebody, you know, in my life. And then of course, what did I have to do to need somebody in my life? Well, I had to go out and get them, but then I also didn't like rejection. So the moment I found somebody I smothered them because I didn't want them to leave, you know, because I was afraid of what rejection. I had that feeling in my life that I need somebody. And I remember after a breakup with this young lady is I'm going like, God, it was really drawing me like to do some inner healing within me. And I'm standing in the kitchen one day. And I just said to myself, I'm like, I don't need anybody. And it's just like broke off of me. You know, that I don't need somebody in my life that, that creates a desire that you can't function without them because that ultimately becomes an identity that I can't if, oh my God, if I lose my job that I've worked for my whole entire life, I'll never, I'll never forget this. My pastor years ago, this happened probably 15, 20 years ago, after being in medicine for so many years working at a hospital, the hospital was trying to take his privileges to do operations there at the hospital. And he walked into a board meeting one day and he had his white jacket in his hand. He says, you guys can have it. This isn't my identity. And they were all just like dumbfounded. It's like he took the power of control out of their hands by humility. And when he says, I I don't, you guys can have it. I, I don't, this isn't my identity, you know? And when we surrender our, when we surrender things out of our life that we have become an identity to us, then we can really start to operate in our true and authentic self. Man, that's good. I think I need to write that down. <laughs> I'm glad. That's that is really good. That was good. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> and so true. Yeah, it's, you know, the, the, the whole idea of identity is so powerful because we have everything bombarding us of yeah. who are you, you know, who do you want to be? Are you, are you part of the cool, you know, kids club or are you, you know, weird and awkward and um, do you fit in? Do you not fit in? And right. we're all so uniquely amazing and different. None of us should fit in, but, you know, I just think it's the, you know, the deceiver on our shoulder telling us, you know, look at you, you're not like anybody else, you're a loser, you're, you don't fit in, you failed, look what you've done. And, 
I think guilt and shame and fear is just such a controlling factor. And there is so much freedom when you finally just, yeah, take off that jacket and you're like, this isn't my identity. And yeah. And, and you find that freedom. Um, it's so powerful. Absolutely. Because that right there, when you, you know, it goes back to when you started to have, when you were we don't understand the model of love from our parents. We don't really start to understand it until later on in our years, but yet we start to follow it in our first relationships. But yet then that's also molded, you know, by our first relationships that we think that either number one, a, the relationships that my parents had must be the way you're supposed to have a relationship or the new one that I'm in, that's really what a relationship supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know? And and so we start to model those things, then all those things become the identity of who we are within a relationship. And the thing about it is we're in relationships with people all the time. We're in business relationships, we're in marriage, or for some people, sexual relationships, or family relationships, friend relationships, whatever the case may be. And so we, it's like you have those people in your life that you can talk you can talk to however you want because they just love you for who you are. Okay. But then you also have those people that won't take that from you because that's not how they see you or that's not how they want to be talked to or treated, you know? And then of course you have the love relationships that want something totally different. Look at you totally different view everything about you and what you do totally different, but all those things are a part of our identity or start to cause and shape our identity because every single one of those affects something emotionally within us, you know, and I have friends that can tell me up and day all day long, everything that I'm doing wrong. And I don't take it offensive, but the moment that I'm connected with somebody that I love tells me the same exact words. I'm like, why are you coming at me? Why are you attacking me? Because of my emotions are totally different and they're intertwined differently within those individuals. But ultimately one shapes my identity in one way and the other one shapes my identity in another way, you know, but it's all building blocks of our identity as a whole, you know, and it's important for us that when you're going through the things like that is understanding my boundaries from the very get go. And that's what, even as me as a parent, and I'm, I'm kind of have a daughter at that age, she's 13 now, um, 13 pushing 30, you know, is I have to start teaching her to get her to understand boundaries when it comes to boys, you know, and um, so, and I'd rather her know boundaries first than her ideal of modeled love that can create an identity. Yeah, that's really powerful. And, and that brings up a really good um kind of thing for women as well is, you know, one, I just kind of want to uh, hit on a point that you said, as far as like the model of our parents and our relationships, my parents model as a, um, a married couple and in love, you know, I, I did see that as something that I wanted in my life. And so even though I went out and I, I didn't have that, it was like, what I wanted. And so I saw it as possibility. And so that kept me in this cycle of, I know what was possible. And so without 
acknowledging the reality of things, I still was focused on the idea of what could be. And that kept me in this cycle because I just, I saw him in his greatness. He wasn't, he wasn't there, but I could see that in him. I knew what was possible if he just stepped into that. And so I just wanted to fan the flame and, and believe in him, but you can't want it more for someone than they want it for themselves. A hundred percent. And listen, we've all been guilty of that in some sort of manner or degree, because we think, you know, a lot of people have the ability to be able to see the potential in people, or we want to see the potential in people. It's like, I know this person isn't abusive. I know this person isn't this. I can see a glimmer or a glimpse of things. And so we want the best. We try to bring the best out of them. And ultimately, what are we trying to do? We're trying to change them. But we can't change anybody, no matter how many books you read, no how many seminars you go to, no how many priests, you know, uh, pastors, principals, I mean, anything that starts with a P, a psychiatrist, a professional, you can't change people. Only the Holy Spirit can change people. Now, can we influence? Yes, but the only way we're going to influence people is by changing ourselves for ourselves not for anybody else. Right. You know, and I think that's also where we end up going wrong when it comes to, especially when it comes to relationships, especially when it comes to hurt relationships, you have to understand that sometimes the best change for people is letting that individual go. I've always, I've been born and raised in church, been around church my whole life, you know, and any relationship that I ever tried to get in with somebody that was not on the same spiritual walk, I won't say level, but walk as I am, I never brought them up to me. They always brought me down to them. And I'm not talking about I'm more super spiritual than they are. That's not what I'm referring to. I'm referring to just a belief system or convictions or morals and ethics and things like that is they start to infiltrate my mind because ultimately what do I not want to happen? I don't want to let them go because deep down inside, I can conform to them a lot easier than them conforming to me, which is wrong in both directions. Absolutely. You know? And it, it's, it's, a, it's an ultimately, you were talking about this earlier, the world itself has created and painted the picture for um, identity, You know, if I don't get enough likes, if I don't get enough followers, if I don't get enough shares, if I don't get all these things on social media, all these comments, you know, it's already building an insecurity in people already because they feel like I I know that my kids at at multiple times are like, dad, will you give me or what will you buy me if I get a hundred likes on this video on on TikTok? I'm like, nothing. Well, why, why not dad? I need, a, I, I need to do this and get a hundred likes. Okay. We'll get a hundred likes. Yeah. And when you get a hundred work to 200 and when you get two work to three, you know, yeah. Oh, you got so many likes on your videos. I'm like, it took years. <laughs> <laughs> it did happen overnight for dad, yeah. You know? yeah. but we're creating it where we're creating things right now, you know, or it's already been created. I should say, that is making people gravitate towards, well, if I don't feel this, then I can get it from here, but I'm not getting it from A, I can get it from B, you know? And when ultimately 
we don't need to be getting it from either one of those places. We need to get it from within ourselves. And for me, it, and I know for you as well, it's my faith in God. It's when I'm feeling down, when I'm not feeling, when I'm feeling insecure, when I'm, you know, uh, having issues with what jealousy or enviness or, you know, hatefulness or, you know, whatever the case is, I've got to, I've got to let God wash me. I've got to let God purify me. I have to say, okay, God, I don't need an individual in my life. I need you in my life. That's the only thing I need is you. Absolutely. And two people, two individuals doing that and getting filled up with God can have a healthy relationship because otherwise you're expecting each other to fill you up. And that's just, it's unrealistic and it's unfair. Yeah. And it just leads to all kinds of problems because, you know, sinner, you know, it's like, sinner is like trying to get the other sinner to pay for what they did and you know sinners with sinners and we stop and we don't stop and think that we owe a gratitude of love and and you know our debt to god is to love one another because while in our sin he died for us he didn't wait for us to be perfect and so you know to and i've realized too that my pain the things that i've gone through hasn't even really been about me it's been about my walk and coming going off track and coming back to God so that then I can talk to other women about that same message of like it's okay if you go left field a little bit just come right back yeah and you know another thing too that I wanted to uh just touch on with what you said like with your daughter is um I think that's such a huge, significant role in a daughter's life is her relationship with her father. And he is going to be the first one to show her how to be treated by a man. And, you know, my dad, my dad, I mean, being, you know, he wasn't raised in the church. He was raised, he was raised, he wasn't raised in the church, but his family was Catholic and stuff. And when he met my mom, my mom started, you know, bringing him to church and he wanted no part of it until he finally, and I was just like a newborn baby. He finally just opened up the Bible and started reading it for himself. And he's like, wow, this is true. I want this. And it transformed his life. Um, However, you know, he came from a lot of pain as well in his childhood you know, lots of brothers and sisters. I mean, there was a time they were um, in foster care and it's just, there's a lot of breakdown there. So, you know, my dad's a very quiet, sheltered, he's an old school Hispanic, you know, kind of guy. He's not very affectionate. He does, doesn't say I love you ever. (laughs) And, you know, he's not the type to, you know, never was the type to kind of sit me down and say, Hey, you know, you're, worthy you're enough you make sure that a guy treats you with this kind of respect and that he loves you and as soon as he doesn't there's a million other out there don't you worry about it and you know so I was kind of empty in that place and I always looked at towards my dad as my hero I loved him because he he wasn't abusive to me or he wasn't you know harsh or mean or anything they were just that that love that affectionate wasn't there. And it's so funny because it takes me back to even just being born. Um, they, my mom and my dad were just, they knew I was going to be a boy. Yeah. And so that's how I got my name because they didn't even have a girl's name picked out. So they're like, David, because <laughs> my dad's David. Gotcha. And so learning that as I'm older, I found myself 
um, always saying when people would say, wait, what's your name? You know, and I say Devet, and then I, I, I caught myself after many, many years saying I was supposed to be a David. Uh. And so, oh my gosh, that was my, like, I'm almost like not even supposed to be who I am. I'm not enough because yeah. I was supposed to be this, but now here I am and, you know, trying to, feel in that, that, that emptiness, that void that was there. And that we all have in some way, shape or form, but that emptiness, it's just shaped in the shape of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to put in squares and, you know, football head boys and, right. you know, um, all these things that just did not fit. And there was a lot of pain through that, but it's refined me and I'm okay with it. I like you go to the gym and you work out and you got to tear down those muscles to build them. I mean, growth isn't easy, but it's so worth it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So over the years, you know, I know you got a divorce and, you know, realizing that that's not what love is, but where, where are you at now? Cause I know you've caught you, you've, you've been studying numerology for over 20 years and how, how did you transition from the divorce to where you're at now? And how has that affected your mindset? Yeah. So, okay. So after we got divorced, I met someone else who was completely the opposite, like kind and patient and not jealous and I was like do you even like me <laughs> you know <laughs> I like I don't understand this um but was uh kind of a player guy non-committal and so I found myself I turned into kind of like a people pleaser so I just tried everything because I knew that he was just completely the opposite so um there was a lot of emotional pain there too um but fast forward 10 years um, he put a ring on another girl's finger behind my back and I found out on Facebook. And so that was devastating and, and shocking. And it was right about, well, in between that, that I started kind of exploring numerology and, um, and how it, that all fit in. And the first thing I did when I was introduced to it was I thought, okay, well, let, let me do my number. And oh my gosh, that fits that's exactly me. Let me do my daughters. Let me do my other daughters. Let me, let me look at, you know, the guy I was dating. Let me look at my ex, look at my mom. And it just, it fit in so well. So I said, huh, what does the Bible say about numerology? And I realized the Bible uses numerology throughout the whole Bible. Yeah. I mean, there's a book called numbers, right? There were times in the Bible that um, God would change somebody's name when he would set them on a new mission. I mean, he changed Abram to Abraham. I mean, Saul to Paul. Um, sometimes he would just say, you shall call him this. And I thought, well, why would that matter if it didn't matter? Yeah. You know, so that really had me dive in even deeper. And I just really wanted to see how significant um, it was. And what I have discovered, and, and I get this question a lot, like, how are you a Christian and a numerologist? Like, how does that even make sense? Um, and, you know, for me, one, God created all things. And so I see a design. And obviously, if there's a design, there's a designer, right? And so um, there's this pattern. And you're born for a specific purpose and reason. 
And the name that you're given, it just, it, it sets you off in this mission. And I mean, it sounds like woo woo or, you know, kind of way out there, but over the 20 years, you know, putting it into practice, even so much so that um, a lot of my um, career from the past was based in collections and I was doing a credit card processing. Uh, I was working for a credit card processor and I, I was doing their collections. And sometimes I was collecting from $35 to sometimes um, $200,000. And so I had to motivate people to pay. And what I started doing is pulling their file and I would look at for their birthday and I would just kind of add it up, kind of do their numerology real quick. And I knew exactly how to motivate them mm. um, to pay. And I was so successful at it that I even became friends with a lot of people. I've been to people's weddings that I, I was a collector. <laughs> I like had to collect money from them. You don't like collectors. Right. You know, I've gotten into business opportunities. I've made friends. And so you know, I've done my homework to see how valid and significant it is. Then it takes me back to where, you know, perhaps you were born for a time such as this. And there are, there's many scripture confirming that God has a purpose for you. We are part of this beautiful, like divine dance almost, you know, with the universe, like Wayne Dyer likes to say, as far as like universe, it's like, unit meaning one verse meaning song like one song so it's yeah. this whole like beautiful you know matrix and so um one significant thing is that i started looking at as i'm doing everybody's number like in my family and, and things like that i saw a crazy pattern is that um so in numerology you know the most important number to know about someone is their life path number. And there's a lot to it. There's their, their name. There's all these things that you can break down, but the most important, the only number you really need to know is a person's life path number. And that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about them. Um, and so I realized that my, my ex-husband was a four life path. And I saw that my dad was also a four life path. And I thought that was interesting because they say you usually marry somebody like your dad, right? Um, and so um, I thought that was really interesting. And then now, you know, my two daughters, they do not have the best relationship with their dad at all, unfortunately. Um, but they both, you know, um, I have a, a grandson and his father is a four life path. And I have a granddaughter, her father's a four life path. And my other daughter is in a serious relationship, probably about to get married here um, with a four life path. I'm just like, that is so interesting. This, this pattern there that I never would have realized had I not known that. And, and they don't all, like my dad's never been like abusive, like my ex-husband, right. but they both okay. seek security and they both see not only, you know, I tend to wear the rose colored glasses. Like I was, I think telling you before that I'm the type of person that I will jump and pack my parachute on the way down. And that's just my personality type versus um, with them, they need to make sure to have structure, order, everything's organized, A, B, C, D. They need to know what that looks like for me. I don't even want to know any of that. I just, let's go, we'll figure it out as we go. So I saw the common thread there that just made 
so much sense. And so I've learned to, you know, like with my dad, even, you know, to this day, you know, he's kind of the grumpy one. And, um, but you know, we, me and my daughters, we laugh at stuff and we just love him dearly, but we don't take anything personal because we know he just sees it that way. So we're like, oh my gosh, okay, we already know, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, the guy that I dated after, um, you know, my ex-husband, he was the same life path number as my mom, which I thought was interesting because I went from kind of from my dad to like my mom, you know, and so um, I noticed that in clients when I'm working with someone as well, that um, there, there'll be a certain life path and maybe they have this issue with a parent. And for some weird reason, every time they contact me and they're like, I met a, I met a new guy, like, oh my gosh, let's do his number. Here's his birthday. It's always the same number. And, you know, so then we get a breakdown. Okay. What is your, what do you need to learn here? Yeah. You know, what, what do you, where do you need healing? Where so now it opens up something deeper than just the surface of relationships. Now it's like, okay, there's something deeper here. So let's look at that and um, see what we can uncover. And it's just, it's been um, really effective and, and very spot on with that. So when it comes to people attracting a life partner, okay. And like you said, this person, you know, kept on this. It was the same number of the, of that individual or different individuals, the same life path number. Ultimately we're putting that out there without us knowing it. We're attracting that. Okay. But are we attracting what, are we attracting what we feel we need in our life and it attracts somebody else that also needs the same thing? Yeah, possibility. I mean, I think that there's definitely a, a, a reason. There's, you know, a rhyme to the reason for it that either there's healing that needs to take place, you know, like with one client in particular, there's, um, there's a broken relationship between her and her parent. And um, it, and it happens to be her mom, not her dad, but it's, it's a broken um, disconnect there. And she's constantly, I feel, trying to, to maybe get healing or some sort of like understanding from that without yeah. realizing it. Yeah. And, you know, on the other end, you know, um, with them, you know, and that's, I think what kind of breaks down kind of the coaching aspect and the, and the, and the questions and really looking at the whole matrix is seeing like, well, okay where does this fit in? Like, let's really kind of get a bird's eye view and let's look at the whole picture and let's see, because for one, it could be something totally different. Maybe, maybe you're attracted to that specific number because it's familiar and it's comforting and, and it, it makes you feel, you know, at home because you were raised in, in a, right. you know, secure place that way. And I think it just really depends, but I think that there's, a reason, but I think it, it comes down to digging a little deeper and finding out, okay, well, who are the other fours in your life? Let's look at that. Right. You know, what, um, what was that relationship? Like, where do you think you need healing? Because then we can even create, you know, we can, we can go through, you know, some healing techniques that are specific for that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, and since we're talking about relationships, you know, one of the biggest things that I have seen, and 
I wouldn't say experienced it too much because like I said, I had the relationships with my parents, which I was born into. Then I, I had, uh, you know, a, a, a fiance that I was engaged to or a young lady I was engaged to. It really, it was more one-sided. It was all me. Um, and, um, and then of course my wife. So I haven't had a lot, ton of experience, quote unquote experience. But what I tend to see is, you know, people going from, especially nowadays on social media, you can, uh, a blind man can see the fact of how much people share their own hurt relationship after relationship after relationship. And, you know, one thing that I have learned to do in this past relationship is take a step back when I'm going through something, when I'm going through struggles, if it's a constant, not necessarily an argument, but if it's a constant battle of something that continues to resurface over and over and over, yes, it's easy to blame the other person. But at some point you have to start asking yourself is if I am going in a repeated cycle from one relationship to the next, to the next, to the next, is what am I going through or what do I need to do in my life to stop this? And I'm not talking about just finally find the right person because you can, the first person may have been the right person, but you weren't ready. Right. And that's one thing that I am recognizing in my own life is there's a lot of unhealed childhood trauma that yes. is being brought to the surface that I didn't realize I had, you know, until after my wife, I didn't realize I still had it within me until after my wife passed away and I'm 40 years old, mm -hmm. you know? And I remember the first time being rejected by a, a girl when I was trying to, you know, put myself back out there in the dating world and she's like, don't ever message me again. And I'm like, I'm like every bit of uncomfortable blood boiling, you know, feeling in yeah. my body came rising up. And I'm just talking about you talking about a fight or flight syndrome. Like I remember where I was at and I was like shaking to the point. I'm like, I don't know if I need to stay here at work or if I need to leave because I need to get away from this you know, and, but I didn't realize I still had those issues. It wasn't the young lady, you know, number one is even if it was, I still had unresolved trauma that I needed to take care of. The other thing is I also had to understand is it's not that I wasn't for that individual. She wasn't for me, you know, however, in the aspect of that, cause it's easy to say, oh, well, they're not good enough for me. Well, Maybe that's the case, but what is it that you also need to go through and heal from and learn from? Because now, even after, and I'll say this to the listeners, I had uh, uh, Devet um, do the life number on me, and um, I'm a cynical person. <laughs> I, I kind of look at the full picture. And so, and a great example you used was clouds in the sky. You know, it could be a very beautiful day. But I will also see the very dark cloud that's three miles away, you know, and even though I might not think negative about that cloud, I still put it in my mind that that something can happen with that cloud at some point today, you know, because I'm seeing the big picture. Now that I'm even understanding that about myself is now I can also understand that when I say something to somebody like in a relationship and case in point, I'll give this is a prime example ex-girlfriend sent me a link to a house. Okay. She's looking for a house, sends me the link. I initially look at it and my response was very cute. 
Okay. Then she's like, what are your thoughts? And I started giving her my thoughts. Well, the reason why, hey, I think it's a little bit too small of a house for this price. And I think the reason why the price is here, because it's been on this for the song. I start looking at the big picture and she takes it the wrong way. You know, she took it very defensively. Like I was attacking, like I couldn't just be excited for the moment. I was excited. That's the thing is my excitement was causing me to see the full picture, you know, because I didn't want the letdown of the excitement because I chose to only see through stained glass. Right. You know, knowing and understand me that way, it's like, okay, maybe I need to pause a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I need to wait a little bit longer before I give them the big picture because the part about me is we ultimately want to teach everybody to view it and see it our way. You know, Absolutely. and that can be very hard in a relationship because what we do, what we, what we can have a tendency, I know for me anyways, I can have a tendency to want to change you so you see it my way because I see the full picture. It's not that my way is right. I mean, it may be, but it's not that my way is right. However, I see the full picture of things and that's what I'm wanting other people to see. And when we can see that full picture, then ultimately, what do we want to do? Well, if you saw it my way, then you would change because I know you don't act like that normally. You know, it's, 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 yeah. it's a good thing to, to, to know and understand, especially if you're just coming out of a relationship, going into business, trying to find a new life path, whatever the case may be that you're struggling, because this is very vital for you to know and understand who you are as an individual. And that's the reason why we get stuck in a lot of places we just truly don't know who we are. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and I think that, um, you know, you're, and, and even like your perspective, seeing the whole picture, that's still from your point of view. Correct. Right. So it's still, it's still your, the way you're seeing it. Um, and I want to give you a quick example. Me and my daughter went to sushi a couple of weeks ago and, um, we were sitting across from each other and we were sharing a sushi roll and, um, I'm trying to, I was trying to get another sushi roll. Right. And, and there was just a whole hot mess. Like, you know, it was kind of like a crunchy roll or something. So there's just like it's stuff all over. And I had my chopsticks, you know, and I'm touching it all. I'm trying to find where the chop, where the roll is. And my daughter's looking at me across the table, really weird. And she's just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm trying to find the sushi roll. And she's just like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, what do you mean? What do I mean? And I'm still trying to find it. And she's just like, she points and she's like, one, two, three. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And so she picked up the, the plate and she turned it. And so we both saw each other's side. And at the exact same time, we both go, oh, my side had all the falling stuff on it. Her side was just three perfect rolls. And so I was right, but I was seeing, I'm like, where's this roll? You know, and I'm touching it all. And she's just like, why are you touching every piece here? It look, it's here it is. And my perspective was like, I just see a blob here and I just want, you know, a sushi roll. 
And so I think that's the value that we all bring. That's our gift is that we have different views, different point of views, different perspectives. So one is understanding where you're coming from and knowing yourself is so helpful because I know for me, being the, being that I'm the type of person that will jump and pack my parachute on the way down, I drive some people insane. Okay. And then, you know, for you, maybe knowing that, you know, I see the whole picture and some people might interpret that as I'm being cynical. I'm really not. I'm looking out for people. I'm really coming from a very caring place. I don't want you to get in a situation without having, you know, seen everything in front of you. So people tend to hear it that way. So maybe, you know, let me find another way to communicate that. And even like with the house, I mean, um, knowing how you could be misinterpreted or, or heard, you know, it being heard a different way than how you meant it could be something as easy as, oh my gosh, this house is so beautiful. I love it. It's so cute. Have you considered maybe the price for the square footage and then end with a, how exciting I would love to live in a place like that? Because you could do what they call like a feedback sandwich, you know, the positive, negative, then the positive. And, you know, so there's different techniques that we can learn and use with each other. So that one, because your point of view is valid and it needs to be, it needs to be heard, you know, and then, you know, the other person on the other end of that has needs too of like, I just, I just want to celebrate with you. You know, I know that it could, there could be a, a sinkhole under the house waiting to happen. I get it. But for a minute, I just want to, you know, visualize the picket fence and what's possible. And so when we can understand each other, I think it helps us to um, communicate more effectively. Yeah, and that's why when when I um, coach people, when I through my coaching, I don't just work on the individual's numerology. I want to do the whole. I do the whole kind of family matrix and relationships because it's like let's let's look at everything. Let's see what's working, what's not working, what you need you know, first and foremost, because you get to be happy. These are your boundaries. This is what you need. How you get that is your responsibility. And let's see what the other people around you need, because if you can communicate in a way that, like when I was doing collections, I communicated in a way that motivated them to do what I wanted them to do, right. you know? Right. So, and it was a win-win. I mean, they, they paid and then invited me to their wedding. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. David, talking about your coaching, um, give us a little insight on that and how people can connect with you and how you're able to help people out in their situations that they're at right now. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm in kind of pre-launch mode as far as like um, a mastermind group coaching. So I'll have more information about that on my website um, coming up. Um, but technically, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, I like to do a lot of discovery and, and, and the matrix and figuring out when I say matrix, I'm, I'm meaning the other people kind of in your life and breaking down your name and seeing how that fits and just kind of being in discovery. Cause not one thing is like dead on just set there's a lot of things that play into it so I like to break down um, and I use kind of like a tree method um, you know which the, the the leaves are like the results of what's working or not working you know the branches are the feelings attached to that 
you know, the um, trunk is all the events that created those feelings. And then the roots is your belief system. And so we work through that whole thing and we reframe, you know, reframe the belief system of, you know what, um, being told no is actually fun because I know I need five no's to get to a yes. So let's, let me go get my five no's today. (laughs) No, so we reframe those kind of things. And then um, we look at the traumas, like whatever, from kindergarten being told no. I just, you know, I, I see the heart as just getting these cracks in it. And I like to use the old, um, there's a method um, where, and I think it's a Japanese tradition where they pour gold into broken pottery. And they say that it's actually makes it more beautiful once it's broken. And that's why they pour gold into it. So, you know, um, I'm also a certified NLP practitioner and, um, you know, tapping and I do a bunch of other just techniques to help kind of reframe that and then we pour gold in all those cracks and then we then we create life by design you know what do you want it to look like what does that um what does that entail you know how do you because then now you're responsible for your life so we do a lot of building through that so awesome yeah what is the best way for people to be able to contact you um probably the best way is through my website which is devet.net and Yeah, devet.net. And I also have a Facebook group for women um, that, and it's called uh, B Boss. So B E and then B O S S and then 777. Okay. And it's, it's, it's for women. And um, it's just like, you know, I like to call it a sisterhood of women um, who love empowering other women. And it's through pain because when I can share that someone put a ring on another girl's finger behind my back and I can laugh about it and be so grateful that I dodged a bullet with that one. You know, we can share our stories and it just really empowers other women to be like, oh yeah, you know, this is what happened. And I'm so glad I'm on the other side or, you know, we can just help each other um, cross over to, um, you know, what's new and what's next. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Guys, go check her stuff out. We've had a chance to talk behind the scenes and she's done some work with me already. And it's just an eye opener to me, even something I was able to put into to practice for my staff um, here at my dog training company just the other day. So give them a little bit better understanding of how I am as an individual, uh, which can hopefully help them uh, when I come across as the boss. Go reach out to her. Don't forget to subscribe, rate uh, the podcast uh, on your platform, and please share. Stay tuned for some amazing more episodes coming your way. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.